Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. Just because it's technically possible doesn't mean it's economically feasible. Those are the words of Adrian Rolls, and for those that know him, they may be surprised by them because Adrian, who aside from being a farmer, is also an ag tech and precision ag consultant. G'day, I'm Drew Radford and arguably they are insightful words because Adrian's been through many ag tech learning curves over his 20 plus year career. Nonetheless, he remains passionate about ag tech and precision ag. To find out more, he joins us for this AgVic Talk podcast. Adrian, thanks for your time. You're welcome. Adrian, we're going to focus on ag tech, but before we get to that, you and your family, technology's not in your background, dust on your boots is, I understand. You're a farmer, aren't you? Yeah, first and foremost, I literally fell backwards into this ag tech space. We used to do a lot of contracting and I had a big client that wanted to go viral rate spreading back in the early days, back in 2003, 2004, and um, I made the mistake saying, oh, we could definitely do that. And anyway, it's just continually evolved from those early days back then. <laughs> I like the description of falling into it backwards. So what do you run on the property? So we're a mixed enterprise. We've got a self-replacing flock of merinos and then we just do mixed um, broadacre crops of wheat, barley, canolas and some pulses from time to time to keep the rotation going. So you were doing a bit of contracting as well as that? We still do a bit of contracting, not as much as we used to, but back then I was bright-eyed and bushy tail and my age started with a two and not with a four as it does now. So I definitely did not appreciate the complexities and how hard it was going to be when I opened my big mouth and committed to it. And that's effectively how we've kind of gone into ag tech or fell into ag tech is because we just started off doing one job here or there. In the early days, we only had one client wanting to do it to now basically up until last year where we, when we sold some aspects of the contracting business, the spreading truck, basically 50 to 60% of our work was all variable rate. That's quite a history. So you're in at the ground level for want of a better description. In those early days too, I would imagine a lot of the tech was difficult to get your head around. It's a lot more intuitive now. It is a lot more intuitive. In the early days when we first went variable rate and started doing data collection as well, because that's what we spun off the back of doing the variable rate, there was no help and we basically had to learn on the run. And there was a lot of late nights talking to people in Europe and America and Canada trying to work out how all this stuff worked. And to give you an idea, when we first went variable rate on an old spreader truck we had, we had some light bars in the truck. So we had to upgrade to a Runix screen and Runix are no longer even a company anymore. They got bought out. But And we we're talking to their engineers and they're like, yeah, yeah, we can go variable rate. But when you ask the question how, they just look at you and scratch your head. So there was a lot of sleepless nights and late nights trying to work out which solenoid and valve bank would work with the um, harnesses. So it was very, very much trial by fire in the early days to now where we um, are at the stage where a lot of this is just straight from factory OEM manufactured, like with all the new ISO systems in the modern tractors and it's just plug and play. So it's still not perfect and... It still lets us down from time to time, but it is improved out of sight over the last 20 years of me being involved. And that's an important point to 
mention too for anyone who or any farmer out there that wants to start exploring this space one of the key things to keep in mind when selecting your equipment is support because it doesn't matter if it's the flashiest or fanciest piece of tech in the world if it breaks down you can't speak to someone to help you get it going again it's not worth dilly squat so yeah there was a lot of challenges in the early days when there was no support Oh, I could imagine that would be really bad for my uh, hairline, for want of a better description. I would have lost a lot of hair over that and been very, very stressed. Just before we go any further, you know, what does the term ag tech mean to you? Well, to touch on the first point, Drew, I had a lovely lush head of hair before I started ag tech and now it's pretty shiny, I freely admit. Whether that's <laughs> genetics and age or ag tech, it's probably a combination of both. So... Ag tech to me is any form of technology that you use in your agronomic business. So to me, the best piece of ag tech that we have as farmers is actually the what I'm using now to talk to you is the mobile phone because that lets us check weather, we can check our emails, we can do market reports, we can help with our marketing, we get our agronomic reports through all the apps and software that are now available to us in a modern farming system, right through down to the stuff that's coming down the pipeline, which is autonomous tractors through to the AI. I mean, there's some really exciting stuff coming out of South Australia, the Saudi guys over there with the AI project on soils. So to me, it's a whole encompassing statement, but to me, it's any form of new technology or digitisation that we use in agriculture. That's a great description. And I would have never even thought of the phone as arguably one of the most powerful things that everybody has readily at their disposal without even going through half the pain curves you've just described with a lot of the other tech. Well, and, that's, and that pain curve is, is something that, and this is to the ag tech suppliers and startups or anyone out there that's thinking of getting into this space as a provider, it's actually about understanding the pain curves. And one of the things that really annoys me about some of the people out there at the moment is they're saying that farmers won't adopt technologies. Well, that's not true. If the pain points and there's a value proposition and it helps us farm better, we will adopt technology like no one's business. So like look at the mobile phone, look at auto steer, auto section control. And even now, if it's a one that'll solve a problem like the green on green with resistant herbicide resistant weeds in crop, I think technologies like that are going to be adopted incredibly quickly by the um, agriculture and especially broadacre agriculture as a whole. The pain curve is actually a really important point though, isn't it? Once upon a time, you know, in my game, I was willing to spend hours, days working out the latest bit of recording software and how I could integrate it and blah, blah, blah. I just want it to work now. You know, I've got a lot of important foundation knowledge like you would have in my particular sphere, but that pain curve now will put me off pursuing it further. (laughs) <laughs> you and I are cut from the same cloth, Drew, because I'll be honest, when we first started doing viral rates, we used to take the ECA out of an early genomics mark one. We'd have to run it through five pieces of software to get it into a format so we could put it into the truck to go viral rate spreading off um, ground truth data sets. There is no way you could trick me into doing that again. And exactly right. Most farmers out there are time poor. And as my business has evolved, I've become very time poor to the point now where I just want something that will work. And this is one of the main problems that we have with, especially even the hardware space, like with like weather stations and moisture probes is you'll put it in, you'll install it. And then someone in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, wherever they're based, they'll have a problem. And then I just go, can you just go out there and 
do X, Y, Z to that piece of hardware. But your day's already full, and, like, it might be a 30, 40 kilometres drive for some of these people who are listening now just as to go and check it. So, exactly, for farmers to adopt more of this stuff, we definitely need to have that whole plug-and-play and ground truth and proven to work before most farmers will adopt it. We're certainly getting in that space though. I mean, and, and that's why we're talking about it. That Yes, that's the downside for want of a better description, but you must be seeing so much out there that is actually working and, and bringing benefits. So what sort of ag tech do you regularly use and, and what are some of their benefits? Well, exactly. There is way more upside to this space. To me, one of the things that we use every day, as I mentioned before, is our mobile phones and tablet devices. But we have weather stations, we have soil probes, and admittedly because we're a rain-fed system, there's only certain times of the year when I want to actually access that type of data set to make an informed input decision. So we're seeing big benefits by having those data sets, ground-truthed soil maps for making the decision on where it should go and understanding the yield potential of each zone from data sets such as yield monitoring to protein monitors and I must admit for the grain growers out there they're a great two data sets to combine together to actually understand and validate the decisions made through the season so there's multiple data sets there and equipment that's doing that for us through to our livestock enterprise where we're now actually uh, to me I think there's huge gains to be using a lot of this technology in uh, livestock um, like for example in our operation we've had EID tags in our sheep now for almost 12 years and we're a commercial, not a stud breeder. The one example that proved the value for EIDs hands down in our operation was we were um, twinning in singles before we had the EID tags in there. So we couldn't really record which was a twin or a single. But once we put the EID tags in there, we we're getting those records back. And what we actually found was due to our poor management practices, so it wasn't on the girls, it was actually on us. What was happening was we'd have these ewes that were raising twins one year and then the second year they weren't getting back into lamb so we're actually starting to cull those genetics so what we did was we now run them as the twin and single mobs based off the id tags after shearing and we keep them separate and we supplementary feed the twins and what we'd actually found was that most of those twinners will either go back into giving us twins again or at least having a single lamb and then in the following year will give us a twin again the following year so because we couldn't record that, we couldn't measure it, we couldn't manage it. So what we're actually doing is we're actually culling unknowingly some of our best reproductive genetics out of the flock. So there's an example of how these technologies and very simple application of them has actually resulted us in increasing our profitability. Adrian, what about some of the other farmers that you work with? You know, you, you go in and help them apply ag tech you've got a couple of examples where you've seen it go in and, and really help out and solve some problems yes yeah, so we've helped many people over the years and it, it's funny you can make it as complex or as simple as you want so we had a, an elderly gentleman who's now since passed but he was based down towards Gundagai and if you asked him he would say he wasn't really doing anything. But in my opinion, he was <laughs> leading the field in this and he really had an old combine. He was a sheep grazier first and foremost with a few cows, but he used to do some cropping and he had some flats and he knew that they performed differently from the years of experience of doing it. 
And so we went down and mapped it for him. We ground truthed it. We came up with some different productivity zones. And anyway, Reg would get there and literally just put drums out. And he would change his seeding rate and fertiliser rate for each zone. And he'd sow them round and round. So that's an example of keeping it very simple. To the point where we've worked with some growers who have adopted everything under the sun because they tend to have a ag technology addiction like myself and they will um, go right down the path of making many zones in the paddock to come back and really starting to analyse and drill down into their driving of what's their profitability. And quite often what happens with most of those farmers when they go down that path, they focus on the agronomics, on how they can actually grow the most crop. Whereas where I think I've actually been able to help a lot of these people is to actually start to understand that it's about dollars per hectare per 100 mils of rain or megalitre, because we've also done some stuff in the irrigation as well. So it's actually about pivoting that focus of growing the crop to actually understanding the profitability spatially across your paddocks. There'll be some parts of the paddocks that doesn't matter what you do, they're going to be capped yield because of some soil constraint that is too expensive or you cannot fix. So it's about designing your program, and this is for livestock or trees, and I shouldn't really talk about horticulture because I've dabbled in that space too, but I haven't come across any industry in agriculture where if you actually take the focus from an agronomic system into a profitability structure, you can actually use these technologies as a real driver or understanding of the profit drivers in your business to actually maximise your returns in your business. So that's kind of, I think, where our business has evolved to. And when you describe it like that too, Adrian, I'm sitting there trying to contemplate being a farmer and all the responsibilities of running my business against this avalanche of data and going, well, I'm not a technologist, I'm not a data analyst. I would imagine that's where you really need that help to say, well, this is what that all actually means and this is how we can apply it. That's one of the problems that we've had is one referenced earlier in this conversation was you need support, but it also needs to be support from most aspects of the industry. So one of the things that I really am excited, especially down in Victoria that's happening, it's like free plug to longer non-college but they're actually designing a agronomic digital program to actually help agronomists get up to speed in these technologies because to be honest... It's a bit of a generational change coming through the agronomic as well as the farming, which is driving a lot of the adoption of ag tech. It's what I call the PlayStation farmers, like the farmers that grew up having a PlayStation in their bedroom and not afraid of all these technologies. And it's the same with the agronomists. So we need to actually build the support industry around as we roll out this ag tech across the industry. So there's programs out there where we're actually trying to build that support network. Now, the other thing with that is too is generally the best data set a farmer has is the one between their ears. And to any young farmers out there listening, don't make the mistake that I did in my early career of not listening to my father and my grandfather. I had all these wild and wonderful ideas and I'd say, oh, but this is what the data set says and we have to do it. And dad'd say, no, no, it's, you know, elevation aspect, the reason why this is it never performs, whatever. It's because they've farmed that country for so many years they actually understand how it performs. So the best data set a farmer has is actually one between their ears. So if it doesn't make sense, if someone like me comes on farm and presents you with a data set and said, this is what the data set says, and it doesn't make sense for your understanding, your knowledge of your crops, your paddocks, your environment, 
it's probably not the right decision. It's actually about running it back through the filter between your ears quite often to make a good informed decision. That sounds like very sage advice. And you've also got a vested interest in the data side of it because I understand you're on the National Farmers Federation Data Working Group. Yeah, I am. I'm the New South Wales Farmers representative on the um, working group. And I've been a bit passionate about the whole data piece for a while. And let me first say this, Drew, before we go down this rabbit warren, there is actually way more upside from the data set and sharing the data set between entities to, that will help a farmer. But the thing is, the farmer has to be rewarded for their data set. So the whole idea that like um, a rather large company recently at a conference compared some Australian farmers to Luddites and book burners because they wouldn't share their data with them. Well, the reason why the farmer won't share their data with them is because there's no guarantees in place that that data won't be used against them down the track. But also, too, that data to them is effectively a commodity. Now, I don't know about you, Drew, but like you seem like a good guy, but I'm not going to go and give you 10 tonne of wheat for free. No. So the data needs to be thought of in the same spec. So, and now that doesn't mean that money has to change hands to access data, but there has to be a value proposition to access the data. And that might be the case of like, I don't know, of an input company where they guarantee supply or give you priority access to chemicals if you share your data set with them. Maybe if it was the bank, you might get 25 basis point off your loan. Maybe if it was in the insurance company, you might get access to other products because they're now able to model your risk better than they can someone else to reduce your cross subsidisation of a worse farmer. So farmers need to be rewarded for that. Saying that, there has been cases where data has been used against farmers, mainly overseas, and I do not know of any in Australia at all, where farmers have had their data shared unknowingly. These companies then entered into individual price negotiated contracts, which basically then capped the farmer's ability to generate a return for their product. So we have to be aware and we need to put safeguards in places for that. And I would encourage anyone, if they're interested in that, to go and actually read some of the work done by Leanne Wiseman, who's a professor. And she actually has some good things that are simple and easy to understand. And basically, it's about just making sure that the contracts are fair and equitable to everyone. Because to me, we have a one-off opportunity to actually make sure that the data sets are used for the right purposes. And it's a one-off chance where everyone in the industry can win by this and even the Australian population as a whole can win because it'll improve our GDP out of agriculture, everything else, traceability. The value off the back of these data sets is huge if we do it right. It sounds like a rapidly evolving space and also a space which you need to act quickly in, Adrian. One last thing, when it comes to ag tech, what's the one lasting thought you'd like to leave those listening to this with? For the farmers out there, it's really fun to be on the leading edge. Don't be on the bleeding edge. I've been there. It's not that fun. So when you're assessing technologies, go for stuff that's proven or that you actually see has a value case proposition for you that's going to make you some money. And the last thing is, don't be afraid to dip your toes in it, especially to the older generation out there, because quite often everyone gets scared of touching the screens or the computers. You can't break them. If you do break them, just hit reset and you're ready to go again. And it's the same with your data sets. 
So just start small and work your way into it. It's a lot of fun. Sounds like great advice, Adrian. And also coming from somebody with a fairly broad range of experience from being a farmer, ag tech and precision ag consultant and also on the National Farmers Federation Farm Data Working Group, Adrian Rolls. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your time and joining me for this AgVic Talk podcast. Hi, thank you, Drew. I enjoyed it. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to AgVic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.